Good afternoon. Welcome to the Human Results Podcast. As always, we have the Managing Director of Human Results, Mr. Alistair Hobbs. Good afternoon, Alistair. How are you? Yeah, afternoon, Ben. Very well, thanks. Good, good. Keeping warm. It's, it's very nice to be talking about warm. It's, uh, it's nippy. It's, it is nippy this morning, but uh, nippy all week. But uh, that's good. We're not going anywhere. No, no. Well, this is why we brought on the lady we have today, mm-hmm. uh, because we want that jet stream pushed back up so we can have a bit of that uh, European warm air, isn't it? So uh, without further ado, we'll introduce today's guest. There's no doubt that recently the the legal speak between the European Union and the UK has changed. Every agreement needs looking at, and that also involves uh, legal experts from the European Union. And today we do have one, well known to Alistair, and will become well known to the British audience. Anka Thompson, how are you? Very well, thank you very much for having me. No problem. I, I'm guessing it's warmer down the, in the Dordogne than it is in the UK at the moment. Uh, yes, slightly warmer. Still yeah, very wet not, though. Okay, that's not made us feel any better, but that's okay. It's about minus five here. A- Anka has a whole list of expertises, but rather than me go through, I'm going to ask Alistair to run through who Anka is and, and how he knows Anka. Anka and I have worked together for much of the last seven years in those areas of business which are not considered reserve legal business, but Anka's an extremely experienced and well-qualified company commercial lawyer and has been a big help for, for clients of mine on all manner of issues. Anka's um, out of necessity has also become something of an expert on cross-border jurisdictional issues and uh, and Brexit, so it's um, it's a useful opportunity to to have a chat about how things are over the last um, six weeks or so. It's not exactly dominated the press like it did pre, pre-pandemic or indeed pre-Christmas even, but um, quietly in the background, there have been big changes and there are winners and there are losers. And um, I thought it might be useful for, uh, for over the course of this year to, to keep abreast of those changes uh, and how they're affecting people. So we'll start with manufacturing and goods anchor. The, the trade and cooperation agreement between the EU and the UK was agreed and signed on Christmas Eve. How has it been received? I think it's been received initially very well with a sigh of relief because we uh, left it very late to agree things. But I think since then, as we knew already, but we have seen, people have realized that it lacks a lot of substantial agreements that quite a few of the uh, industries are not covered by it. It is more a question of uh, trying to interpret it in its narrow um, format rather than accept it as a type of legislative uh, agreement from which you can actually interpret any situation given uh, with a a client that you have. Yes, a good principle to start with because we've seen that EU and UK can agree on something, but it needs to develop further as we move along in the next year to touch upon and agree in all sorts of other industries. Manufacturing 
as we've seen on the news, is I think most manufacturers have actually had to prepare very, very hard for uh, any developments. The import and export has been touched upon profusely. There are many changes uh, in relation to uh, compliance, import and export licenses, the tariffs, the labeling of goods, which is very important, potential new VAT rules that are going to be implemented, I'm pretty sure. Customs procedures, we've seen the you know complaints about the new custom forms and how difficult that is to be understood and processed even though i think the uk government now have recruited more and more custom people in order to actually be able to to help with this new approvals for medical uh, devices the marking which has the ce the conformité européenne as we knew it has been replaced by uc CA, which is the UK conformity assessed. So there are many, many modifications and implementations to be brought in, but uh, things are developing. It's not easy. I'll be very honest with you. It is not an easy, straightforward process, but we have to deal with it. Version 1.2 and 1.3 aren't too far away is what you're saying then, Anka, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and how long do you expect this to, to settle down? How long a settling down period do you expect for the agreement before we actually get to the final agreement that we're all going to work off the basis of for many years? I, I think each industry is going to is going to develop at its own rhythm. One of the most important things that has influenced our practice and the clients that we most deal with is services. And services has not been part of this particular agreement that has been signed with EU is still very much in discussion, is still very much up in the air. Uh, let's not forget that UK is the sixth largest world economy in its services and its services sector represent over 70% of its GDP. So it's huge. Financial industry is still one of those uh, very, very important core uh, parts of the UK, not only GDP, but because it's not so much in terms of percentage, but in terms of relevance, in terms of uh, reputation, in, in terms of income that is generated. Therefore, we, we really don't know where that is going yet. I know that the passporting regime has now ended. There is a proposal for some form of enhanced equivalent. Uh, I think the UK has been more generous to EU than the other way around, which seems to be the, the line that EU is taking at the moment. Uh, but I can't see hamha somehow the city not staying as one of the most reputed prime position or on the global financial uh, world, to be honest with you, and uh, as a financial hub. So we'll have to see how that is going to develop. We've got an awful lot of work to do in terms of negotiations. And it's good that they started well, but we don't really know where we are. And I, don't, I think it's going to take at least 2021 for things to, to settle. And we're seeing things occur, aren't we, Alistair, with things like privacy policy changes and things like that in the UK that are taking effect now? Uh, well, yes, obviously, um, GDPR as a, as a European um, piece of legislation has now effectively come to an end, but the provisions are still very much in place. We've not diverged in that regard. Don't expect to see any significance there. The UK is a first world country and had a, had a huge influence on the whole GDPR piece. 
So in, at the moment, purely practically, employers and indeed companies generally who have data, cloud-based data, they just need to know where that data is. And it, obviously it should be in the UK, clients need to know. Certainly in the reality and practice, if, you, if, you're, if you're in a subscription service of some sort, you know, the likelihood is, is that the, the, the cloud-based data retention was possibly in two different jurisdictions, but, but in, the, in, in the UK as well. So in practice, almost certainly, like with our own HR platform, you know, the, our client's data is stored on servers in the UK. But, uh, prior to that, it was in the UK and in, and in Europe. So there will be subtle changes to consider to to your standard paperwork around um, around privacy notices, for example, uh, explaining what data you will hold on them and where it's held. We are we are getting round to uh, ensuring that clients um, update where necessary, uh, but at the moment there's been no huge drama. As I say, we're very much. We're very much locked into the issue of the pandemic and there's a lot more practical considerations at the moment uh, that we will see divergence over the course of the year and beyond. Um, it's not going to be change for change's sake. I mean, let's see let's see what the government's report on, on regulation is. Uh, but I, I think the fear mongers that talk about employee rights uh, being hugely hampered or, or, or diminished. I don't think they should uh, They should be too alarmed just yet. I don't see that, that. There's no appetite for that. But I think it'll be interesting to see how tribunals and courts interpret uh, the EU-driven legislation that's now been incorporated um, fully. We will see some common law interpretation that might be deemed to be a divergence over time. But I don't see any dramatic revolution anytime soon. Certainly not this year. I think the government and HMRC and others have got a lot on their plate. Uh, we've still got IR35 to consider in April. Again, IR35 is nothing new. But um, for, for, for end users of, uh, of um, contractors' services, the significance will be that it will be for them to police and decide whether or not somebody's uh, an employee or genuinely self-employed and they'll be picking up the tab if they get it wrong that's first and foremost vaccinating your staff will you or will you not be insisting on it that, that your staff are vaccinated that's obviously another practical consideration that's more on people's agenda and radar at the moment going forward so uh, I'm not ready to do any kind of post-Brexit specula speculation at the moment. We'll address those changes as they as they occur. Back to what you always say, Alistair, you'd rather be the person that reads up on a case than be the test case itself. Oh, absolutely, Ben. Um, very much so. Always better to learn from other people's mistakes. Anke, you are, a, uh, an, you are an intellectual property expert. How are things, obviously we spoke about data, how are things on the intellectual property side in the EU? I think everyone sort of knows, and if they don't know, uh, they will. They found out on that on the first of January two thousand twenty-one. Any EU registered trademark will uh, cease to cover the UK, and vice versa. So there have been implications. This also, we the any UK qualified lawyer cannot actually represent anymore anyone that wants to register a trademark in EU will have to always refer that to our colleagues in uh, in EU which is unfortunately not good but anyway it is what it is we haven't got much choice about that for the pending EU trademarks that were not registered 
from the 1st of January in UK, then there is at the moment a nine month period in which the owners will be able to apply to the UK to register as these trademarks. And this is what's happening at the moment. We feel quite a few applications in that sense. There haven't been many, many other amendments to this. I think as we progress and jurisprudence develops and new cases sort of come, we are going to see developments where I have particularly, if I may continue, uh, side a a breath of relief is in relation to companies and Companies Act 2006, which actually hasn't been affected in any way in relation post-Brexit. And uh, that's because UK is domestic law. Companies very much operate within that system. In any case, the laws are really good. Uh, The the act is is pretty flexible. We know hopefully what we are doing and, and that's it. The problems occur when we have Uh, either EU companies that establish subsidiaries in uh, UK and the other way around. Um, There is a little bit more registration to be had. I think the company's house are tightening those rules. We have to provide far more information now uh, for EU companies that actually uh, establish subsidiaries in UK. Uh, Things like where the company is incorporated, where it's registered. Always we have to pay attention Now, we had to do that before as well. We have to, for example, a UK company that is a limited limited liability company and it operates within UK will have to to be managed from UK. HMRC always looked at that in any case, but now I think we'll have to be even more, more careful. My concern is in relation to UK companies that actually open a subsidiary in EU now And before, um, for example, if it was a limited liability UK company that had a subsidiary in a EU country, it was an automatic recognition that uh, that will have a limited liability status as well. So shareholders from UK, for example, would actually register something there. And because it was a limited liability company that they were operated through in UK would be having a limited liability status in Europe as well. Now we have to make sure on cross-border things and and that we check with local council the status of that particular subsidiary because it will not be automatically recognized. So we can find the shareholders, and this is obviously a, a hypothetical thing, but it can happen that they think they've got protection from a limited liability company, but they don't necessarily have so in that particular EU jurisdictions, which I think if I'm if I'm not wrong in this, in my thinking, Alistair, it's a very serious consequence because oh, yeah. they might have an yeah. unlimited liability. So it's good to pay attention and make sure mm-hmm. that you check it. But yeah. otherwise, MA work is very uh, either domestic or cross border, is always governed by private contractual agreements. Therefore, nothing has changed. There are one or two directives that might influence that now will not apply um, anymore. I would say that's not necessarily a bad thing because it 
will give um, the transaction a little bit more fluidity. Otherwise, not many have changed. Where we have to, again, be very careful is in case we've got competition issues that are applicable. They will continue to apply. So check the competition issues, get the necessary clearances, um, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously, we've looked at the companies. Obviously, companies aren't as good as, as employees and, and employment. How are things changed in regards to that, Anke? Um, well, I think you've got the expert there <laughs> um, <laughs> who would be able to tell you much better than I do. But I think, I, think, I think nothing has changed. Most of the directives and the EU legislation has already, unless Alistair is going to say no, of course, but as far as I know, has been already implemented within UK legislation that will continue. Things like TUPI, for example, they are still very much applicable. They are there. Whether that will develop... I don't, I can't see a country like UK to lower its rules and regulation in relation to the protection of employees somehow. No, no, that's right. I think the point is, you know, whether whichever side of the fence you wear with your voting, the fact is we're in a global economy. And if you're going to, if you're going to have free trade agreements, you can't undercut other people's markets and expect to have tariff free uh, entrance to those markets. So, I think areas like like labour law will always be front and centre of uh, many of these free trade agreements. So we're not going to see dramatic change. Nothing that could uh, could create a, an uncompetitive advantage or a competitive advantage. So I don't think we'll see anything dramatic there. So no, in terms of at the moment, any EU residents or who've been resident in the UK since prior to prior to the end of the year, they need to make sure they get their settled status registered. Uh, by June, um, but most employers who've got EU nationals working for them um, will have been proactively helping them with that uh, if they needed any. And, and as I understand it, actually prior to the end of the year, you know, there's been a continued quite strong uh, migration of workers to the UK. People still want to come here. It'd be interesting to see how the point system works and whether that results in a slowdown of any great significance. We're an aging society. We still need plenty of young blood. We tend not to have the big families of old, so we've got to keep going with that. Yeah. Immigration yeah. is is a necessity. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how, you know, whether there's going to be initiatives that that provide additional influx of short time temporary workers into you know whether it's harvest season or any particular seasonal norms or for certain market sectors that that need to recruit more but fact is you know we we will continue to to welcome migrant workers to these shores i'm sure we will we will and, and i think just to finish off we are obviously legal uh, a legal podcast courts dispute resolutions how are they being implemented anchor over the last I think from my perspective one interesting uh, one interesting dilemma is uh, there is no established agreement anymore now that UK has left the EU about the implementation of court decisions so what I have come across in cross-border uh, agreements is the dilemma of if you have foreign party of whether they will, especially from EU, whether they would agree to the agreement being governed by English law and the jurisdiction to be given uh, exclusively to English courts. I say English because I tend to work more with English and, and Welsh 
laws than, than Scottish laws. I'm not a Scottish qualified lawyer. Now, I think before you had that recognition. So if an English court would actually award a decision or make a decision then on a EU party that has got all is registered in you and has got all its assets in you, you can implement it. Now we can't anymore at the moment. Why I'm saying at the moment is because by coming out of European Union, we've come out of the Lugano Convention and we have to go back to the Hague rules that are slightly less easy to interpret and and longer to actually access. I must mention that UK has actually applied at the third party now to join last year the Lugano Convention. So I'm hoping that this year this will clarify, but it's always in the back of my mind what sort of governing law and jurisdiction clause I put in into that agreement when I have this element of cross-border uh, parties with, with uh, European Union client or, or opposite party. Uh, I think it will, it will solve itself out. You always have to present the, the option of arbitration, which is much better instituted, and then you have that as well. But that's a little bit of a dilemma at the moment. And I'm sure we'll revisit in this podcast uh, just, just to finish off, Anka, um, it is EU in the United Kingdom. We're certainly not splitting down to England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales after the, uh, the, the Six Nations the weekend. Otherwise, Alistair will be on this for another half hour telling me how good Wales were. Yeah, <laughs> and Scotland. <laughs> yeah, Wales, Wales weren't good. We just got the result. Scotland were good and got the result. Yeah. Ready. Now, Anka, your expertise uh, will bring much benefit to the UK market. We know that over time. Um, and this won't be the last time you appear on the podcast. Thank you for coming to see me and Alistair today. Alistair, as always, thank you very much. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Lovely ah. to see you, and thanks for having me. <laughs>